You drive. I'll ride. In the trunk. In the trunk? Come on, Nick. You're not that allergic to sunshine. A tan will do you good. What's a little sunburn? Listen, I don't tan. I don't burn. I implode. Do you mind, Skank? Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode of Forever Night episode. Forever Night Season 2, Episode 22, Close Call. What an auspicious episode to return to after our wild Toronto adventures. Because we just got back from Toronto. How'd I do? That's good. Okay, thank you. We spent... I don't know, two, three, four days there, wandering about, visiting uh, filming sites. I definitely think the saddest one was Natalie's coroner's office. Yeah, with the teardown notice. Yeah. Because they're building some high-rise But we'll get there. Until we get started, or before we get started, however you want to phrase that. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come in, 81 Kilo. A Forever Night podcast. Wow. Turns out it worked out better if you just pushed the button. Go figure. So, Matthew, how do you feel watching this now that you've walked these streets? (laughs) Literally, I've seen streets that I've walked on. You have. Um, And what an episode because we, I think every single place that we went to see except the church was in this episode. The church and... The radio station exterior. Well, we didn't see the radio station exterior. We didn't go see it. Uh, right. Of the list of things that oh, we went oh, to see. Gotcha. Oh, the only thing that we saw that was not in this is the church. Yeah. Can you put your drink down? Uh, you were going to hit the end of that acoustic tile and trapeze that drink. You know it. I know it. Are you done? <laughs> <laughs> the work is never done. My work here is never done. All right. What do we want to talk about first? The trip to Toronto? Or do we just oh, want to the, sprinkle that in like I thought the magic. Toronto trip was going to be a separate episode. I mean, it can be. Like bonus. I think that would be more fun. Okay, we'll do if that. If it's a bonus episode. Okay, well, stay tuned for the bonus episode all about our Toronto adventures. But in the meantime, we open on the skyline of Toronto, as usual. A familiar skyline now. A familiar now. skyline now. We went to some of these places. We went up. Oh, God, that's a whole other episode, apparently. So there's an alley and a shootout. Go figure. 
I don't know that we've had one that started with an alley shootout in a while, but I love how contrived. In a while, yes. I love how contrived this alley is. There's a broken down car. There's steam. There's a pile of trash. There's a dumpster. If you had to have a, a shootout. A real gritty, yeah, if realistic. You, if, if you had to have a shootout in an alley, right? This is. It, it checks all the boxes. It almost feels, one might say, um, staged. Maybe. 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 I don't know. So Skanky is serpentining his way down this alley while a guy with a really giant gun is shooting at him from the In other In the credits, end. it's Crazed Gunman. Okay. Well, Crazed Gunman is shooting at him. We get no context for Crazed Gunman, except he killed a security guard. We know that much. We don't find out his name. We don't really find out anything about him. Because that's not the point of this episode. Because right. as Skanky is sneaking up on this guy, they exchange some fire. And then Nick whoosh, lands. Well, he, he shoots the guy, knocks him down. That's after then, Nick lands. Nick lands on the second story fire escape. And Skanky and Nick both look at each other like, the fuck? Well, Nick doesn't look like the fuck. He's like, oh, fuck. And Skanky looks like the fuck. That's exactly the exchange that they have. And then they exchange some fire and he shoots the guy and he's approaching him thinking he's incapacitated, but he actually stands up and points the weapon at Skanky. And this is when Nick lands in front of him and decks him, punches him the fuck in the face and knocks him down and saves Skanky's life. By flying down from the second story fire escape. Right in Skanky's line of sight. Right in Skanky's line of sight. And Skanky, they have another moment of, uh-oh, and, huh? Previously illustrated by the fuck and <gasps> fuck. Okay, I remember the guy getting shot in the shoulder, getting shot, falling down, then looking at his shoulder and getting back up and aiming at Skanky. Yeah, so. and that's when Nick gets down and punches him. Okay. Which, for the rest of the episode, it's implied that Skanky killed this guy. Right. What killed the guy? Was it the shot to the shoulder? Was it the shot to his collarbone? Or was it Nick? Was it a punching him really wound hard? that didn't kill him immediately, but the cause of death was the gunshot? Or was it was it simpler for Natalie to say that it was mm. the the bullet and not the fist? Yeah. That killed the gunman. Right. Oh, you mean his face was concave and he had the uh... Had, oh, yeah, he, he hit the ground real hard. Yeah, he, he fell down so hard. <laughs> it cracked his skull, caused bleeding in the brain, and then he died from the minor gunshot wound to his shoulder. Sure. Who knows? Maybe, it, like, Nick, I don't know. He, he was not incapacitated from the shot enough that he was able to get up and almost kill Skanky. Right, it could have been, like, punctured one lung, and then he... Bled internally for a while, and that's what killed him. But the the gunshot that from Skanky did not take this guy out immediately. immediately. Correct. But again, that's not the point of the episode. We don't even right. see Skank We don't even see Natalie doing the autopsy because this whole time we've been hearing a police siren getting closer, and right about now it arrives, and then we kind of well a Nick. Takes Skanky off to the side. Well, they cut to the intro. Oh, okay. And then they come back, and Skanky's like, Since when did the academy start teaching officers how to fly? 
Since when did the Academy start teaching cops to fly? It's not humanly possible that you were there before me. Skank? What? Listen to me. Look at me. What? Forget what you saw. You didn't see anyone or anything fly. Do you understand? I understand. Now let's get out of here. You're going to drop me off and take my car for the day. See if you can get it washed out. It's literally not humanly possible that you could have gotten here before me. And then you did, you did, what, what the fuck, man? And Nick is like, yeah, cool. So is Kinky. Look, look me in the eyes. <laughs> look, look deep in my eyes. I got something to say. I got something to say. And he's like, okay, so forget about the flying. You didn't see anyone or anything flying. Um, I'm a regular human dude. Take my car home and uh, get it washed. Thanks. I like the, hey, why don't you take my car and get it washed? Like, while I'm monkeying around in here, let's see if I can just <laughs> benefit from this. I'm just going to bloop this in here. And then as they're walking away, Skanky has a bit of dialogue about the whatever just went down. And he calls it, and I think this is probably the only part that's relevant, is a piece of cake with a rose on it. Oh, okay, skanky. Yeah, because Nick is like, you cool? Like, you shot a dude. You all right? And he's like, well, yeah, piece of cake with a rose on it. And then Nick looks up and the sun is coming up over the buildings and he's like, oh, got to get home. And he looks pointedly at skanky and skanky's like, you know what? Why don't I take your car? And, you know, I'll drive it around because apparently skanky's car is in the shop. And he's like, I'll even get it washed. And Nick's like, huh. Oh my God. How about that? Thank you so much. And then he unlocks the trunk and climbs in the trunk. Nick. This was a crucial moment for you to hold your shit together and not be weird. <laughs> let, let the hypnosis manipulation like settle <laughs> down. You had to let this perk for a little bit, okay? And you did not. You were like, you didn't see anyone or anyone flying. Ah, the sun, I was right home in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> and then, not only to, to add to the terrible decisions have been made today, Skanky's like, oh my God, man, you're not that allergic to the sun. Like, come on. I mean, he just saw Nick in the sun not too long ago. Right. So he's like... Yeah, you're fine. What's your problem? A tan will do you good. And Nick goes, I don't tan. I don't burn. I implode. You drive. I'll ride. In the trunk. In the trunk? Come on, Nick. You're not that allergic to sunshine. A tan will do you good. What's a little sunburn? Listen, I don't tan. I don't burn. I implode. Do you mind, Skank? I feel like... Skanky and Nick's relationship is Nick trying to figure out how little of a fuck he can give about what he does in front of Skanky without Skanky actually figuring it out. And I can't tell if this is the show trying to show us that Skanky is not smart, is not like observant, or if this is just a one of those things that in the 90s no one would have questioned. Because we get, a, like, Skanky kind of goes up and down. The show is either trying to be like, oh, Skanky's an idiot. Look at him with his duck lamp carrying it around. Ha ha, isn't that funny? All the way to, 
Skanky is the only one who knows what's actually going on, and he's figured everything out long ago, and he's just tried to get everyone to believe him. And collect evidence, proof. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's one of those mysteries of the ages. I choose to believe that Skanky, well, we'll get to the end about what we've covered before what I think Skanky believes, and we'll talk about it more at the end, but I choose to believe that Skanky is actually a far more intelligent character than he is often portrayed as in the show because it makes the character a better character and it makes the interaction with everybody better. If Skanky is actually quite well aware of everything that's happening around him all the time, but he plays dumb. Willing and able to hide behind his exterior. Hide behind his, like, everyman-ness. Yeah. To just sort of accept Nick and move through the world in a way that makes everybody feel comfortable. And then we get our first of many clips. Because this is a very cleverly disguised elevator episode. And what I mean by elevator episode is sometimes in these television shows where you had, like, 26 or 28 episodes a season... You might say, blow all of your budget on Jeanette's wardrobe. (laughs) For example, hypothetically. (laughs) Hypothetically. You had to have that episode where they were in the Middle Ages and she needed the full velvet like dress with the bustle and the hair and the collar. And then somebody looked down at the page and they were like, shit, we've only got 25 episodes here. We need to get 26 and we have approximately oh um $25 and two ounces of cocaine. How are we going to get through this? And they're like, aha, the characters are going to get in an elevator and the elevator will break down. Because now you have two characters, one set, dialogue heavy. You don't it's have to move the cameras around. It's just film and done and done. And that is what this episode is. We do not have a flashback. We do not have very many new, we don't have any new costumes. We don't have any new sets. We only have the primary actors except for crazy gun guy. And that's pretty much it. So this was a inexpensive episode to film. It's a great episode. I love this episode, but it is a very cleverly disguised elevator episode because 95% of it is just clips. Because this is a clip from Dark Knight. Because as soon as Nick is climbing in the trunk, he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that time we had that conversation where I was like, why don't you drive a real car? Like, why don't you drive a regular city car like everybody else? And Nick is like, uh, trunk space. The 1962 Cadillac has the most trunk space of any car made in the last 30 years. Right. And this kind of has with the the flashbacks to previous episodes, it has to be a little um, overt for connecting the references because the viewers wouldn't have been able to just rewatch old episodes. It also serves as a recap. I can remember being excited when these episodes came on, like the clip heavy episodes, because you got to see snippets from previous episodes. And I know we've talked about it ad nauseum, but I cannot express heavily enough how inaccessible television shows were. They came on and then they fucking disappeared into the ether. Maybe a year or two after the season finished airing, you could go to a specialty video store and purchase the season. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. Probably not. If you didn't catch it and record it yourself, there was a possibility it could be gone forever. So 
these also served as like, hey, you guys, we're going to be going into syndication for a little while. Why don't you watch? See if you can catch all of these. Because there were whole months out of the year where everything was reruns. The whole summer, yeah. everything was just reruns. And then we come back. My favorite part about these clips, actually, is that we use the whoosh sound. <laughs> from season one. From season one for like, whoosh. Okay, now we're in a flat clip and then whoosh, we're back. Miss the whoosh. The whoosh gets to come back. Yep. And then we go to the corner exterior. Hmm. Moment of silence for the corner exterior. And then Natalie is like, um, Skanky, you okay? Skanky's like. Everybody can tell something's up with Skanky. Yeah. And Skanky's like, I drove him home in his car trunk, Natalie. I put him in his trunk and I drove him home. I literally spend every night. Well, I don't think he talks about that yet, but he's like, doesn't Nick strike you as a little bit weird? And Natalie's like, ah, Nick, weird. <laughs> and then Skanky gets to use between you, me and the lamppost, which she hasn't said in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really cute because he's like, between you and me and the lamppost, Natalie, I think he might be a little bit not mentally capable of handling being a cop because he says oh he got he's like i think he's ready for the nut house he uses a lot of very 90s language about it i think he's cuckoo i think he's crazy i think he's ready for the nut house i mean he's a uh he's a cup of tzatziki short of a suvlaki <laughs> <laughs> uh do you put tzatziki on Suwaki? I don't remember. I was Ours just was. To, you yeah. ate a gyro. You cheated on skanky. It's still skanky's people's food. I know. Well, it's not skanky's people's food because skanky's Italian. Oh, that's right. It is John Capelos's people's food, though. And he's talking to Natalie and he's like, you know what? In all the time you've known him, have you ever had like a weird feeling about him? And Natalie's like, yeah, immediately. As soon as I met him. Because <laughs> he crawled out of a body bag and raided my fridge and then maintained eye contact while drinking blood the entire time. That would have been a funny flashback to insert right here. It's just Natalie going, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, he's weird. He's He's got a feeling. But Natalie is like, uh, a feeling? You, you, you have a feeling about Nick? And then we get our second clip. Because Skanky's like, yeah, you know, I just always thought he was a little gallant under fire and it's our unreality motel clip where they have the tv we get crew the first with them. night vision or one of the first night visions yeah they have the tv crew with them and this is the one where they shoot through the door and a bullet ricochets and hits the the camera guy mm -hmm. and then nick goes around and pulls the guy out the window I'm going to go around. What's around? Well, you know what? Actually, I think he runs through the hotel this time. We get two clips where he's accosting people with guns in motels. They get mixed up. But he runs through the motel room. And this is the one where he jumps off the balcony. And Tawny catches him with the camera. Yes. On reality TV. It was and oh my God. Balcony. We get like this entire clip. It's a good couple of minutes long of clip. It's not whoosh well, we in, do whoosh get, out. Yeah, we get, we get both scenes. We do get both scenes, but yeah. this is the one with on reality TV. And we get the whole clip. Like, it's a long clip. And then Skanky. Like they're filling in for stuff they don't want to refilm. Well, yeah. This is an elevator episode. We had to, yeah. we had to pad the time. Because some of the clips are edited, and some of them are the whole clip. And this is the whole clip. 
And then when we come back, Skanky's like, you know, I put my life on the line for this guy every night. And I don't fucking know who he is. As a matter of fact, I ride with him every night. I put my life in his hands. And I really don't know that much about him, do I? Look, it's been a long night, Skank. Maybe you should go home and crash. I do not want a partner who's an occupational safety hazard. If he's a certifiable nutcase, I think I deserve to know now. And Natalie's like, ah, Skanky, you're... Your biffles. <laughs> You're overreacting. Don't say that about Nick. <laughs> I mean, hold it together, Skanky. You can't tell him you know. <laughs> um, but then Skanky's like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. I'm gonna figure out who this man is that I ride with. And then he walks off like Nick does to Natalie all the time. So and that's must how be, you sign a death warrant. She must be used to men just turning around and walking off in the middle of a conversation. Like, oh, I figured a thing out and then leave because she doesn't even try. She didn't even chase him out the door. She just watches him walk away. And then she Ugh. then she calls Nick. <laughs> Nick's passed out on the couch. She just reaches his hand over and like pats the table until he finds the phone and then flips it and turns the phone off. So it won't ring he, again. Yeah. And he leaves it on afterward so that it's off the hook. So anybody yeah. calling again would get just get a busy signal. Right. And I think I almost think this scene would have been like stronger if we just left it at that. Like we get it. Nick's on the couch. Who else could it be? But we like slightly pan over and he's like coffin laying on the couch. <laughs> you could, It's a funnier scene if he's more, you know, like on his Dramatic. side. Like he okay. fell asleep with his hands still mm-hmm. up on the back of the couch or whatever. But instead he's just like, I'm on this couch. <laughs> Maybe he can only sleep on his back. Maybe it's like a restriction. Maybe it's part of the vampire curse. I don't know. At one point, we did see coffins, remember? Because I was thinking, wow, we didn't use that clip. Because there's that scene where Skanky goes to the raven. And he goes in the back room and there's coffins. Do you remember that one? Maybe it's like a pack behavior. When you have a pack of vampires, they need to be separated from each other. Yeah. Maybe Jeanette's too cheap to put in separate rooms. So she was like, I get it, yeah. guys. We're going to sleep in coffins. It's traditional. And they're like, oh, my God, is it traditional? And she's well, like, they, yes. they really just need an enclosed space to feel safe. Yeah. Because they're, like, almost dead while they're sleeping. Yeah. And Nick just has his whole apartment. I think I like it better that if Jeanette gaslit all these young vampires into thinking they need to sleep in coffins. That, that's the cool thing to do. Because it's cheaper than getting them apartments. She's I, like, I could see that. It's yeah. economical. Yeah. She's like, no, no, this is what we used to do in the old days. Remember, I'm real fucking old. I'm way older than you, you guys. You want to be cool like me, right? You want to do what I did when I was little? We had to sleep in coffins. And they're like, you did? And she's like, yeah, it's traditional. And then she just, here, have a coffin. And, and then it, Jeanette has this gigantic, like, yeah. suite of bedrooms. We don't ever and- talk about where Jeanette sleeps, but... Jeanette does not sleep in... No. Jeanette sleeps on satin fuck sheets. This is an established canonical fact because she is the one who gives Nick his satin fuck sheets. Remember? We talked about this. Right. All of the luxuries that Nick has established in his apartment are just the bits and pieces of Jeanette's lifestyle, her her quality of life that he's appropriated. Yeah. You think Nick has those for himself? No. Nick sleeps on the couch. Whenever possible. He's always asleep on the couch. Whenever anybody point. comes in, he's on the couch. Those are from when Jeanette visits. Or or uh, or a female has to stay at his place for protection. Oh, yeah, that too. But maybe that's why she's so jealous each time. She's like, Nick, did you use 
I can smell the other the women sheets. on these sheets. The sheets. And he's like, no, no. I did. I took our special sheets off. He has a special set of black satin fuck sheets. <laughs> and, then, and then he has the company the, black the, satin fuck the, sheets. These are the guest satin fuck <laughs> sheets. <laughs> please, please, Jeanette, like I, like I would. <laughs> but then Skanky has gone to the precinct. And this is what I'm talking about. We recycle... Uh, we recycle costumes. You can't really tell when Skanky and Nick recycle costumes because it's an endless roulette of suits, ties, vests, and suit jackets. But Cohen is re-wearing her Red Queen outfit when she comes out. Red Queen outfit. Remember from Curiouser and Curiouser when we finally come back to reality? For the first time ever, she's not wearing navy. She's wearing like this really pretty red suit with gold chains. I'm trying to remember Curiouser. It's cool. You don't Curiouser. have to. Curiouser and Curiouser is the one where he has a psychotic break and he thinks that he's yeah, human. Yeah, but wasn't Cohen in The Raven? Well, she was, but once he comes back to real life, oh, oh, okay. at the end, she goes back to being the police captain and she's wearing a red like power suit with gold chains. Oh, okay. Is that what you meant by Red Queen? Yeah. Okay. And I, I refer to it as the Red Queen outfit because... The whole episode had an Alice in Wonderland theme. So she's back in that Red Queen outfit, except she's sans several chains. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's a, a more... The chains of authority. A more subtle number of chains, one might say. <laughs> Fewer chains. And he's talking to Cohen, and Cohen's like, you know what, Skank, you okay? And Skanky's like, no, I'm not okay. I'm I'm, I'm thinking about Nick a lot today. And he's, <laughs> he's like, um, you know... He rushes in. He's always got to be the first one there. He hits every beach like it's Normandy. I'm Detective Tortoise, or I'm Lieutenant Tortoise, and he's Detective Hare. Yeah. Just the same sort of stuff that came up in Partners of the Month, which was, you always have to be fucking first. Why don't you ever let me shine? I never get to shine. Why? Because you you can only shine when your life is at risk. Yeah, I think part of for I think for Nick mostly it's keeping Skanky out of danger. Yeah. It's not about getting there first. It's about making sure nobody gets hurt. And then we get the dark night motel scene. This is our third clip. This mm -hmm. is the one where it's from the first episode. They're in that motel. Skanky and Nick have just started working together. And he does the thing where he like flips over the front of the door. Oh, yeah, he runs past the front of the yeah, door. Yeah, and, and he's like, okay, he's in the back, he's got a boozy, and Skinky's like, hang on, you can see in there? And he's like, okay, I'm going around. Oh, yeah, this was the, like, early night vision. Yeah, because he goes, I'm going around, and Skinky says, around? What's around? And then we come back. And Gowen is like, okay, Skinky, I hear what you're saying. You're tired, and you want to go home, right? Go home. I'm going home. You need to go home. Your shift is over. Are you, oh, yeah, but don't forget to fill out all the fucking paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> you look like you've been awake for a week. Go get some rest, but finish your paperwork first. But finish your paperwork. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, Captain, sure, yep, I'll get right on the paperwork. He never gets right on the paperwork. But then he shuffles the papers aside, and underneath is like a legal pad, and he has Nick written across the top, and then known acquaintances, and he... Scribbles out, he erases out Nick, and he writes John Doe 199. And then he puts Jeanette underneath. Underlines it. And then underlines it. <laughs> it's so 
I'm writing this so the people on my CRT, my CRT screen can see what I'm writing. And I love it because it's just these giant, like, Johnette. <laughs> he puts like an exclamation yeah. mark. And then he does the uh, most natural next thing, which is goes to the raven. Well, when whenever Nick is struggling to find information, to work through a problem, he goes to the one place that he can always find some answers. And that's the raven. The raven. And so he goes to the raven. And he's knocking on the door. He's like, Jeanette. Of course, she doesn't answer because it's day. And then he remembers, oh, I'm driving the caddy. So he looks down at his keys. He pulls out a key, unlocks the raven, and heads in. And then he's walking around the raven, calling for Jeanette. And he goes, oh, I thought this place was creepy at night. And then we get clip number five. Four. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I missed one. I numbered the clips. Okay. I didn't number the clips within clips because sometimes we string them all together, but I numbered the number of times that we cut away to a clip. And I missed one because right after he writes down Jeanette really big and right before he goes to the Raven, he remembers that scene from Partners of the Month when he's talking to Jeanette and he's like, oh, I can see you guys together. I bet you made oh, yeah, a really cute a couple. And she's like, uh, yeah, thanks. And he goes, when were you together? College, right? And she goes, actually, it was closer to the Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> Her accent just gets so thick here. Jeanette. Again, I feel like they need to put their heads together and be like, okay, I'm going to be interacting with this mortal a lot. Everyone needs to hold it together. No vague innuendos to how we've been together for hundreds of years. Okay. They dismiss them for a while, but after a little bit, they all start to pile up and shit gets real. Okay, guys? But instead, everybody is pretending Skanky is never going to figure it out. So throughout this entire series, we have just been doing whatever the fuck we want in front of Skanky. And this is the find out episode. So after he comes back, that's when he goes to the Raven. And then when he comes in and walks around and has the comment about how it's creepy even during the day, we get clip number five, which is the for I have sinned scene where he comes in and he's daring himself to cheat on Myra with Alma. Yeah. 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 He he didn't contribute anything to that interaction with Alma except to look inviting. Um, He panted awkwardly. Because he's so nervous. You don't think panting awkwardly was his contribution? I mean, it, it, it set him out as a, an easy mark. She brought the tie. He brought the tie she was going to tie him up with. Because she takes his tie off and then she's starting to tie it around his hand. Yeah. This one's slightly edited. Because when they start dancing, they actually cut to the scene where they're in the side room. And they cut out this weird little interaction she has where she's like something about doctors and don't you wish doctors did dance therapy and if i was a doctor that's how i'd treat people but they cut back right in that's how i'd treat people so we missed the whole context for that statement and gotcha. then when she's getting ready to bite him she goes um you know i'm gonna cure you forever and she does like a <laughs> but we cut out the forever and we just get the hissy bang thing 
Although it's interesting we include this because it points out to us that Skanky has literally seen a vampire like full face vampire and no one hypnotized that out of him. Um, Because Jeanette's like, you need to get the fuck out and you need to never come back. And trust me, I'm doing you a favor. Jeanette far more subtly hypnotizing him than Nick ever has. Mm. The only one who's ever shown hypnotizing somebody with just their voice is LaCroix. Nick and Jeanette both have to do the like, I'm staring you in the eye. Like, look into my eye. And they do the close up on their eyes. We even do this in this episode with Jeanette where we close up on her eyes and mm-hmm. we get the heartbeat sound to let us know it's happening. Um, No, I would argue he is not hypnotized out of that because she's basically like, yeah, she'd have given you a venereal disease. And it's just like a red herring. Look over here. This is right. what would have happened. Uh, I trust you to completely dismiss this one second image you had of Alma doing her thing. And this is when she tells him, let's just say she would have made you a permanent member of the night shift. They use a lot of this clip, too. That's probably why they edit it, because they do cut out probably 30 to 45 seconds, if not more, of yeah. this clip, which is fine. It gets a little long, any longer than a couple of minutes. And I'm like, I've seen this episode before. <laughs> But he's, of course, still wandering around alone in the present because Jeanette has not appeared yet. And he makes his way into a back room and there he finds a case just lying on the ground full of Jeanette's precious possessions. This is the blood locker room. We've been in here a couple of times. We came in here in bad blood. And this is where she was getting her vagina rose tattoo. Remember the rose tattoo she was getting, which was straight up a vulva? She was getting that here. But apparently she also stores a chest. Keepsakes. Keepsakes. Her her little hope chest. Mementos. Your mementos are in here. Because he opens it and there's um, a negligee. I don't know. We don't see what it is. It's like a sparkly bit of fabric. And he like tosses it it. to the side. And he tosses a couple of things up at the top. And then he's like, oh, look, a giant unwrinkled picture of the Nightcrawler, which is just sitting strewn in this box with all these (laughs) tiny objects. LaCroix planted it there. And Jeanette hasn't even seen it. They're actually everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) They're all over the place. (laughs) Any (laughs) container Skanky would have opened in this entire building. Would have had a Nightcrawler picture. Every night, (laughs) LaCroix sneaks in. Oh, Jeanette got rid of this one. (laughs) <laughs> he's just got like he's got like a satchel, you know, hard-sided satchel, so they don't get wrinkled. And he slips them right in, restocks every every like large enough flat yeah storage. Space. Nick wakes up in the morning, opens his underwear drawer, and there's one just slid in on top. <laughs> they both have a morning ritual of going through like their bedroom and just <laughs> burning <laughs> all of the photos. <laughs> I am boarding up that fucking skylight. (laughs) (laughs) That's how the one got in his desk at work, too. Yeah. You know it. He just didn't get that one today. And that one's signed. Yeah, well, that one's signed. But he would have come and gotten it. Like, he comes in every morning, or every evening, his morning, and pulls out his drawer and tosses the picture. And then it just reappears at night. But he pulls out this picture and then he pulls out a picture of Jeanette like a tiny little cameo picture of Jeanette and then he pulls out a framed photograph of the three of them and to me it looks like that picture you take at like medieval times (laughs) where you all get a cape 
If yes. you just stand there and look at the camera and they take a black and white photo and they're like, look, now you have an old timey photo. Or they used to have something like this at like our local theme park where you got to select you got to select costumes and then they took a picture and you could do like the Wild West or you could do medieval or whatever you had themes. That's what this looks like to me. But he's immediately like, this is a really old photograph of them this together. This is legit. This is legit. Like, this happened a long time ago. Of course, he's primed for that. He's primed for that. Yeah. But Jeanette could have just said that. Oh, that's one of those souvenir photos. We went to Toronto Medieval Times and got that, got that picture taken. Literally, it was there in, <laughs> in 1993, 94. You know Nick fucking loves Medieval Times. <laughs> <laughs> he's there. He's there every night. <laughs> That's where he goes when he's feeling really lonely. They're like, oh, it's that guy again. He never eats. He just sits there and broods. He brings his, oh, he just wears his armor. Like he, he comes in costume every single time. Yeah. And forces everyone to refer to him with old timey language. <laughs> Lord de Bourbon. <laughs> I was in the crusade, you know. Yes, yes, we know, Mr. Nicholas. Oh, what did I say? Oh, God, and Mr. de Bourbon. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Treat me with respect. <laughs> I'm a knight. I'm, a knight. I'm, gotcha. I'm the only real knight here. <laughs> That's not how you joust. <laughs> the fuck is this? It just critiques everything. Yeah. Sir, sir, we've told you we are an entertainment experience. We are not into <laughs> historical accuracy. Why the fuck are you called medieval times? <laughs> Gets a call at the precinct. Nick's getting kicked out of medieval times again. Oh, okay, I'll go get him. <laughs> Even torture like this was illegal in the medieval period. Every time he takes Jeanette on a date, she's like, but not there. And he's like, come on. <laughs> and, and, and he immediately gets on his cell phone and cancels the reservation. <laughs> like, oh, she said no again. And they're like, we're so sorry, Mr. Nick. Someday she's going to say yes. She's like, Someday she's going to say yes. But LaCroix goes with him every fucking time. LaCroix, uh, of course. LaCroix, will you come to medieval times with me? Of course. But, I'm already there, Nicola. But only if I get the souvenir ice cream at the end. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even get tickets. They just come in through the skylight and sit in empty seats. Okay, that's canon now. <laughs> but then we get our cool. Uh, Jeanette has spotted the intruder, and she's standing in the shadows, and you can kind of see her silhouette, and then her eyes slowly light up. And this is really well done. I it's like a really effect. cool effect, yeah, because then she, like, glides out of the darkness growling because she got woke up. I mean, also, it's skanky, but she just got woke up. I, too, do this when I get woken up, and I don't want to be. And she comes up behind Skanky. Every single vampire character gets the opportunity to sneak up behind Skanky and scare the pants off of him this entire episode. So Jeanette gets to do it first. She pops up behind him. And he turns around and tosses the picture. And she just snatches it out of the air. And can I just say how much I love Jeanette's version of Bedhead? <laughs> the untamed death cloud. Yes. It's just everywhere. And then we cut to them sitting in the bar, and he's like, wait, those are your grandparents? And she's like, yep. <laughs> he's like, wow, the resemblance is just uncanny. And she goes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally unbelievable. <laughs> and she, I love the look of sympathy on her face. The like, 
Oh, poor Skinky. It's just trying to make sense out of this. Yeah, because she's like, oh, you're going through something, aren't you? And then he's like, have you noticed Nicholas looking weird lately? Have you noticed Nick being weird? You yeah, know, acting just, weird. Yeah, and she's like, Nick? Nick? Weird, you say? <laughs> I, I'm really concerned about Nick. Something's not quite right about him. Something weird. Nicola? Weird, you say? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she answers any of his questions. No, she just responds with his question back or another question. Because he's like, yeah, you know, like when he hijacked that city bus. And then we get the clip where he hijacked the city bus. Of course, we had to include this one. It's the best. This is my favorite scene in probably the whole series <laughs> because it's so fucking extra and so fucking Nick. Only Nick would be like, oh, somebody's on that bus. Do I call in and have that bus stopped? Do I chase that bus down with my siren and have them pull over? No. I bolt out of the car. I chase the bus down on foot, climb on top, run along the top, and then dangle down the front until the guy stops the bus. Yeah, he could have punched yeah. a hole through the roof and pulled it back like a can of sardines, too, and she wouldn't have had a chance to escape out well, the side Well, that would door. have left evidence. Oh, yes. Not like doing it in front of witnesses. <laughs> Well, witness eyewitness testimony can be, you know, swept under the rug. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, you, but you not a giant of... hole in the top. He could have been like, there was a meteor coming, and I saw it, and I wanted to make sure that nobody got hurt by the meteor. By, <laughs> by making a hole for the meteor to pass through. But this is, we go back to Jeanette, and Jeanette's like, it's just crickets, because he probably told her this whole story, and she was just like, yeah, that sounds like him. He probably didn't get to go to medieval times for too long, and he had some pent-up stress he couldn't get out. And this is when he tells her, you know, I had a bad night. I, I had to 86 a guy. And she goes, how many? <laughs> yeah, we got caught in a shootout downtown. Guy wouldn't be taken alive, so I had to 86 him. How many? I had to kill him to stop him, and I almost killed Nick in the process. Oh, dear. <laughs> and he goes, no, no. I mean, I had That's... to kill. I had to shoot a guy. I had to kill him. And she's like, oh dear, you know. And he goes, <laughs> just one. Yeah, because he says, you know, I almost got Nick in the process. And she's like, mm, I see what's happening. Because he's like, you know, he did something weird tonight. And she's like, oh, okay. So something happened. What happened? And so he explains it to her. And she's like, yeah, I'm really done with this conversation. I want to go back to bed. Can you please look me in the eye? <laughs> look deep into my eyes. <laughs> Do not probe into Nicola's affairs. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you know what? Leave, go back to work. You know what? Actually, take the night off. Forget you were here. Now go. And so when he comes back, he's like, Jeanette? What am I what am I doing in the Raven? Have I been here very long? If he was supposed to forget he'd ever even been there, why didn't she tell him, you know, leave, go home, park the car, get out, and then wake up? Right. Thank you, just drove. It, it's home always from better work. to cover up the memory with a false memory than yeah. to just like remove the memory, right? Because, as we know from Babylon Five, you have a hole in your mind, <laughs> uh, and that hole is you know something you're kind of aware of. Yeah. But if it's covered up, like with a rug, a nice rug that brings the whole room together, right? Then. <laughs> It's a lot harder to be like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to lift up this rug that, you know, is coherent with everything else I'm experiencing. And, you know, 
explains things that have happened, yeah, I'm a lot less likely to pull that up and look underneath. Can I propose that in the coming 81 KiloCon 2024, we all collectively go to Medieval Times as a group? Dressed in 90s outfits. Oh. Maybe with vampire fangs? That's money. Fucking yes. <laughs> we probably wouldn't even be the only group. It'd be fine. We wouldn't stand out. It'd be perfectly fine. Yeah. And it must be very disorienting for Skanky because not only does he not any longer know why he's there or how he got there or how long he's been there, but when he comes out... He is befuddled. Joan of Arc is writing him a parking <laughs> ticket. <laughs> oh, jo Joan of Arc. Joan, is that you? <laughs> thanks you for coming back. Thanks for coming back. Uh, welcome you're, back, Fred. You're gonna you're welcome back. You're gonna skip from here straight into blood ties. So we'll see you later. <laughs> but Joan of Arc is writing him a parking ticket, and she's like, "Is this your car?" And he's like, "Yeah." No, he. She no. said, "Did you park here?" Yes. And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I think I did." And is this like, your car? Okay. Can I see your driver's license? And he pulls oh. out his he pulls out his badge, and she's like, "You're a cop." And he's like, "Yeah, I guess I am." Yeah, I'm a cop. Okay. And Jeanette hit way too hard. I know. She's like, she was tired, okay? She wanted to go back to sleep. She could have <laughs> dialed it down to seven, but no, she, she went to 11. She used the hammer instead of the... Yeah, the only one who successfully hypnotizes somebody ever is LaCroix. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, so is this your car? And he goes, yeah, no. No, that is not my car. She's like, okay, then I'm going to need to see the registration. And I love how trashy Nick's glove compartment is. <laughs> I fucking love it because nothing says I have owned this car for 30 years, like just trash in the glove compartment. I had a pack of honey grams, like the graham crackers, in our one car for like three years. And every time I opened that compartment and they were there like, oh, I need to take those out and throw them away. And then... I never did. In fact, I think we sold them, sold the car with the graham crackers still in the car. But anyway, not only has he not cleaned it out any time recently, he left his old driver's license in there because Skanky actually finds an Oops. old driver's license. He's like, oh, look at that. It's an old New York an old New York driver's license for a Nicholas Forrester. Huh. Okay, well, I'm going to get you the registration just a second. And then the glove compartment actually falls. Like, Yeah, the whole thing falls the out. The whole thing falls out. And he's still laying there trying to rifle through it. I wonder if this was the one they drive, because you know there were two Cadillacs. One they drove around and one they just used for close-up shots because it yeah. was like the more like nicely restored one. Which got into a wreck in like 2001 and died. We just found out. We just found out. We've been working on tracking down the cars for like months. And we're pretty sure we know where one is and it's okay. But the second one, we finally heard back from the guy who bought it from the production. And he only had it for like four years. And then he totaled it. Yep. And didn't think it was worth restoring. <sighs> <sighs> Sad days. Talk about Cadillactus Interruptus. M moment of silence. Moment of silence. I know. But then as soon as he goes back to the precinct, as we know, empirical evidence is enough to overcome any hypnotism. Because he looks down at his sheet and he sees where he wrote Jeanette and he's like, Whoosh! he has like a wind in the hair moment. And he's like, 
I went to the Raven to talk to Jeanette. I talked to Jeanette. Jeanette hypnotized me? Nick hypnotized me. Because he remembers Nick hypnotizing him too. And he's like, holy shit, I'm on to something. So he starts jotting stuff down. Because Vera arrives because she tells him, he asks her to call, like, look up this Pull driver's up license. Pull up records for the old driver's license. Right. While he's also asking to please fax the registration for Nick's car. Because, of course, Nick didn't have his registration in the oh, car. Of course, Nick. He didn't have it. Because anytime Nick has gotten pulled over, he just, he's just like, his way these out aren't of it. the droids you're looking for. That's exactly what he fucking does. Yes. Sir, this is the seventh time we've caught you uh, loitering outside medieval times this month. No, no, you haven't. I'm not even here. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, please stop standing by the side to talk to the knights when they come out after a performance. <laughs> <laughs> they aren't interested in your uh, your feet, constructive feedback. Your constructive on their criticism. Technique. Yes, please don't bring a sword to uh, to volunteer to show them how to how to properly fight with a sword. <laughs> like the like the guy at the TSA checkpoint is like. Everybody, please do not bring firearms through the TSA <laughs> checkpoint. It was I'd... the most American thing to ever, where the poor guy was just like, no, you can't take firearms on the plane. Yes, if you have firearms, we will take them. No, you cannot have firearms. There are no firearms beyond this point. You will never get it back. <laughs> you will get at least $5,000 in fines and maybe some jail time. Everybody. Please pay attention. No firearms here. <laughs> he was so done. He was just like, please leave him in your car like a normal American. On the seat, preferably. I'm just kidding. Nobody does that. They all carry them with them. So we go back and Vera, our happy Vera, the archive lady, who we haven't seen in a while. She might actually be the same lady who does the interrogation in Curiouser and Curiouser. I don't know. But Vera is our sometimes archive person. And so she brings him the license information because she had to pull the archive because, of course, the driver's license isn't printed on plastic or anything. It's just in a little leather folder. Right. And it didn't have a picture. But this has a picture with Nick with his little goatee and, like, glasses. <laughs> like a tr very trimmed mustache. With a very trimmed mustache. This is his Nicholas Forrester persona. And so now Nick is like... Or not Nick, sorry. Nick isn't in this whole episode. He's only in for like five seconds. But Skanky is like, oh, oh, hold the phone. So he calls Myra because Myra's been calling because, of course, he's just MIA. He just he just didn't come yeah, home from work. He's supposed to be at home. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm late. I'm going to be later. Something really important just came in. And this is when he goes to see Natalie. Because Natalie is the human on his side in this scenario. She's also being duped by Nick. Right. 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 right? So he immediately goes to talk to her and he's like, they hypnotized me. Jeanette hypnotized me. And, and Nick. Nick too. And she goes, "He Jeanette hypnotized Nick? Nice play, Natalie. That yes. was a good one. The, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm confused. I'm going to play completely dumb. Right. And he's like, no, 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 no. Nick hypnotized me, too. They made me forget, and that's all I remember. <laughs> I'm telling you, Natalie, she hypnotized me. Nick, too. She hypnotized Nick? No, 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 no. Nick did it to me. Okay. Okay, I'll bite. Why? I don't know. It worked. They made me forget, and that's all I remember. 
And then Natalie pulls like narcotics out of her drawer because she's like, yeah, she's like, here, go home, take two of these. Hold on, Natalie. <laughs> Hold on, Natalie. <laughs> Hold on. Do you have your coroner's license or do you have like an actual medical license where you can distribute prescription medication? She gives those to the corpses when they won't lay still. <laughs> take two of these and go to sleep. Chill out, muscle relaxer <laughs> for rigor mortis. We don't talk about what it is for rigor mortis exactly. <laughs> she pulls him out and she's like, here, Skanky, take these. And he's like, no, no, no. I've been asleep too long. The sleeper must awaken. The sleeper must awaken. <laughs> and then we get clip number seven, which is unreality TV. And it's the rant that he does with Tawny, where Tawny is like, does Mr. Nick seem a little eccentric to you? And he's like, Nick, And he just eccentric? starts listing off things. He's like, like this and that, like his obsession with medieval times, like the fact that he... <laughs> Uh, you know, he's never bought me a meal. He doesn't seem to eat himself. He shies away from all social functions. He's never, like, taken me out for a meal, no matter how long we've been together. He can't come out in the sunlight. Does that seem weird to you? Uh, yeah. And then we get another clip. We go straight into another clip. And it's the Killer Instinct one, where they were raiding his apartment because they thought he was a murderer. And they're like, hey, this dude's got a sunbed and blood in his apartment. Yeah, he's got a tanning bed. Isn't he allergic to sunlight? Yeah, and then they're like, anybody know why this guy has blood in his apartment? And then he adds all that to his list. He adds hypnotism, he adds blood, he adds allergy to the sun. And this is when Vera comes back by to check on him. And she's like, oh, let me see. Blood, hypnotism, allergic to the sun. Oh, you're looking for a vampire, right? And she does like the vampire hands. <laughs> Monster hands. <laughs> and then we get the research scene. Every vampire fan knows the research scene. The, I have just started putting the puzzle pieces together. So I go to the library. And I do not have any working knowledge of this wildly popular, huge figure in popular culture. So I must go to the library and somehow find the one book that has every single piece of accurate information <laughs> that I have ever needed in my life. And check it out, along with a stack of others, which I will never get to because the top one is always ding, 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 exactly what I need. However, in the stack is The Denied. From the vampire author. Yeah, from Stranger episode. Than Fiction. Good thing she vowed she would never write another vampire novel after Nicholas hypnotized her into never writing another vampire novel. And Lacroix was like, God damn it, he found a loophole. Remember that episode? Because uh, yeah. they're trying to get him to kill him the whole time. Trying to get him to kill her the whole time. Because she's just too accurate and she must be stopped. And so Nick is like, don't write anymore. And she's like, okay. And they're like, god damn it. He figured out a solution. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the dying for fame clip. This is clip number nine. And this is the one where they call everybody in because everyone is currently working security at the Everybody's working security and they need somebody to go to the hotel to like interview the pop star. So they call Nick in during the day. No exceptions. Everyone has to come in. And so he arrives in the full black outfit and he's just parked outside. The, he's just parked outside the precinct. Th this reminds me of Meg's outfit when we went to pick up the rental car. Okay. We're going to talk about that when we talk that that's for the episode. That's another teaser. Uh, th yeah. This is just another. It's <laughs> just another, another teaser. Hook. Yeah. So he shows up and he's just parked in his car because he can get to the precinct, but he can't get out of the car and into the precinct. 
He's just got to wait. And so this is when they're like, Skanky, where's your partner? And he's like, oh, you know, no, he's headed in. He's totally headed in. They're like, isn't that him parked in the parking lot? And so he goes out and he gets in the driver's side and he's like, do you smell barbecue? <laughs> and Nick's like, no. He's like, don't you think you're taking this ozone thing a little too seriously? And he's like, not really. Drive. And then we merge that with the scene where he's getting in his trunk and he says, you know, I don't tan. I don't burn. I implode. So he gets the whole like, okay, yeah, because as he's reading, he's reading like a snippet from the book. And then we're getting a clip where Nick did a thing that makes the book seem accurate because the the next one is like, oh, he'll have unnatural strength. And it's the last act clip where he takes the guy and holds him out the window and Skanky's behind him. And he's like, man, think of the paperwork. You don't want to do it. And he's like, he's a monster, Skanky. (laughs) Says the monster. Says the monster. And so he ends up throwing him in. And then we get the finger dip scene because we talk about ever increasing amounts of blood. So we get the iconic Jeanette sticking her finger in the drink and Nick doing the like, I don't want to drink it thing from the Dark Knight. Yep. And then we do reuse the, uh, oh, no, this isn't this one. But we get the like red wine clip, which I think is from False Witness, where he pulls the red wine out of the refrigerator not red wine yeah, he the pulls blood. the wine bottle out and he's like oh uh do you have a drinking problem and nick's like they're from my they're birthday. leftovers for my birthday yeah i only serve red wine at my birthday parties <laughs> <laughs> and he goes well for your information red wine should not be refrigerated and that's he gives it to to natalie and then we get the next like killer instinct fridge blood scene where he's like hey does anybody know why this guy has blood in his refrigerator so of course this is skanky putting together the green glass bottles containing the strangely thick red liquid were blood all along yeah even though nick and natalie both told me they were wine right and he he remembers that it's for painting because he mentions that to lacroix at the end but he's never like how much painting do you do that's a lot of blood. And <laughs> Nick has not had painting supplies out since season one. Right. We ditched the whole Nick is a frustrated abstract artist angle a while back. But then we get clip number 14. We're up to 14 because we're wham, bam, bam, just knocking him out right now. And it this one is notable because it is from an episode we have not seen yet. So Skanky is remembering something that hasn't even happened. (gasps) Foreshadowing. This is from The Code. And he and Nick have it out again in The Code. It's similar to Partners of the Month where they're at each other the whole time. And this is the part at the end where Skanky is like, look, man, I'm sorry. But do you ever just get so tired of your life that you want another one? And Nick is like, yeah, been there, done that. And he's continuing to read the book. And we've gone through quite a few, like. Dramatic voiceover. Dramatic voiceovers of him reading the book. You know, they travel the lonely road through time together. And they shed identities and pick up new ones as easy as changing clothes. We just go through these, like, very flowery. He must have found the chapter that's, like, bullet pointed. All of the powers of a vampire. (laughs) Um, Originally, when this aired... This episode, Close Call, would have been the second to last episode that aired of season two. So had we been watching this on TV, we would have already watched the code. 
And we would be watching this one and then Crazy Love, which we've already watched, and then that would be it. We'd be on to season three. So if you had been watching this on TV, it wouldn't have felt out of order. But we're watching this in the order that it was filmed. The production order. The production order. So I don't know how that jives with the code being in there, except maybe they put this one together later as like a filler episode. Yeah, they they filmed what, 25 episodes out of 26, and then they were like, shit, we need a 26th episode. Yeah. And then they had the intern uh, go through all the all the previous episodes and say, pick out every scene where Nick is being suspicious in front of Skanky. That poor, that poor intern. And the like... intern went through the code, and they threw it in there, like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. We'll throw that in there. And they're like, okay, narratively, chronologically, whatever, this episode that we just made is going to go episode 22. Yeah. And they boom, there you go. Get, that's my that's my speculation. I mean, on that. it's as good as any. It'll work. I don't know. We did kind of tell Garrett when we met him that we had a podcast. I think somebody did. I don't know. It's all kind of a blur. So, if you're listening, do weigh in. We have a we have a website. You can contact us through there. <laughs> Strangeandbeautiful.club. Okay. So, then we get to the line about how vampires often form societies to uh, keep them company on the lonely road through time. And I thought that would make a great uh, podcast t-shirt is the Lonely Road Through Time Society. Vampires often form loose societies with others of their kind. Other vampires who travel the lonely road through time with them. Yeah. And their unfailing allegiance to their master who brought them over into this dark, godless world of the undead. Significant look at the LaCroix photo. Well, has he gone through Nick's desk yet? He hasn't yet. Okay. Because then it zooms in on Skanky. Because he he does remember the Nightcrawler. Like, he knows Nick listens to the Nightcrawler because it's always on in the car. Skanky never gets to choose the radio station because it'll be Polka. So it's always the right, Nightcrawler. It's either the Nightcrawler or Nick turns it off. Right. And so we zoom in on Skanky's because Skanky is having his like, oh shit moment. Everything's falling into place. And I love how they did this scene because we're zooming in on Skanky. We're doing the thing where it feels like we're zooming in, but we're not oh, we're just really changing zooming the focal in. Length. Yeah, we're changing the focal length. And then behind him, it's getting darker and darker and darker. Oh, so, oh yeah. The lighting. Yeah. They're actually just... Well, they were doing both. Him. We also get a sense yeah. of mo- we get a sense of motion, and we get like the lighting behind him drops out very slowly, which feels makes him feel like he's withdrawing from the world into some, you know, his mind's eye yeah, while he's really having these revelations. Forces us to focus on John Capelos right in this moment, and then he like oh shakes himself, and it's like click. Somebody flicks the light switch on, and we go back to the real world, and then he's like, "There's only one thing to do." And that's break into Nick's desk. So he gets up and walks around. Obviously. <laughs> he opens a couple of drawers and there's like nothing in there. And then he finds one locked drawer and he pulls out his lock picks. <gasps> Tricky, Donnie. Skanky. You have lock picks? You have layers. For what? Is that for when uh, Jeeves won't give you the keys? For when they're necessary. Ah. That's yes. why you have lock picks. Okay. For when they're necessary. Like the time when I was in grad school and I got assigned a desk in one of the grad student offices 
and all the drawers and the like overhead cabinet were all locked. And I went to the like grad student office and asked for the key and they said, oh, well, like whoever had the desk last didn't either didn't return the key um, or they returned it without the desk number on it. And so she just gave me the entire tray of all the loose keys <laughs> for all the grad student desks. And I tried them and none of them worked. So I watched, I went home and I watched a bunch of YouTube videos and I got out some old hacksaw blades and a grinding wheel and like traced out the uh, hey, you made a set shape. of lockpicks. I made some lockpick tools and then I went into school the next day and I picked open all the locks. Nice. Well, Skanky don't so need works. no YouTube. Skanky knew how to pick Skanky this lock. Skanky already knows. He didn't even have to like feel around. He just pulls out a one of the lockpicks. He sticks it in the drawer, unlocks the drawer. He gets Nick's desk drawer open and there's ammunition and a crisp... Freshly signed photograph of the Nightcrawler. With and, a personalized message. And it says, to Nick? Or for it, Nicholas. For Nicholas. Always regretting dot dot dot. The, the Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Jeanette's was not signed. That's what we call favoritism. favoritism. Yeah. We all know which squeaky wheel child gets all the grease. And we all know which which uh, of his children is the first one he goes to when he needs help. Yeah. When he needs help? You mean when Laquan needs help? When, when he needs some cooperation, he goes to Jeanette and he's like, Jeanette, oh, yeah. can you help me out with this? She's but like, no. Of course. No, she only, he only goes to her when he needs help to fuck with Nicholas. Well, yeah. So every but, time he comes sauntering in her door, it must feel like, oh, God. <laughs> well, can't this ever be about me? You can't you how, ever come see me about me? Do you know how frustrating life must be for Jeanette? Because everything is about Nick. Everyone who comes to see her comes to see her about Nick. Except for Alma. Yeah, Alma, who came and disappeared, I guess. I mean, she has her little group of misfits, I suppose. You could kind of imagine that that's a thing that exists. Because she has people that clearly live at the Raven, and they're vampires, and they live at the Raven. And she has pictures of herself all around the Raven, so she's queen of her little kingdom. Spin-off series. Jeanette and her misfits? Yes. Don't tease me with things like this. You can't get my little heart happy about the idea that someday someone will be like, there are storylines we have not explored in this. Do you know? Okay, we're not going to. It's fine. We're just going <laughs> to gonna leave it. I'm going to leave it right there. Oh. So then he takes that picture. He takes the picture he has of Nicholas Forrester. And he takes the little cameo photo of Jeanette that he straight up slipped in his pocket while he was at the Raven. And he puts them all up on his desk and he just looks at them like, I have figured it out. Now, this is a desk out in like a public area. Right. Everybody walking by can see this photo arrangement. It's not like he has With obviously office. Nick. Right. Obviously Nick and two other mysterious people. And then the sun sets, and Nick is finally getting up. 
He's buttoning up his vest for the day. He realizes he turned off the phone. He turns the phone back on and flips it over. And then when he turns around, (laughs) Jeanette's behind him. And this begs the question, is this a cultural thing? (laughs) Does Nick not realize he's being shady as shit? Does he just think this is how you arrive in a room? Yeah, and maybe that's that his, you know, 800-ish years of experience of life are predominantly being as a vampire. a vampire living with Lacroix and Jeanette. So all of his like human social conditioning is gone at this point. Yeah. And just yeah, when you go see somebody you just the thing you do is just whoosh, yeah, up behind them up here and so when Jeanette does it he's like oh, Jeanette because he senses her and when he turns around he's not scared because he already knew she was there so when he does it to humans and they can't sense him it must be like oh écoute skanky <laughs> he's like oh it must be sad they can't sense me oh well how do humans walk into rooms I don't fucking care <laughs> so I kind of thought maybe he's not being an asshole maybe he just doesn't know not to do that it's a cultural difference can we really fault him for something that's just i mean it's a vampire thing he can't help it but the jeanette beehive needs to be addressed because she has this is it a beehive is it a strangely shaped hair attachment that they've put on top of her head i don't know because when they turn around It is not, so there's a kind of bun you can do where you like roll your hair in the back. And I forget, it's like a French bun or something. It has a fancy name. And sometimes you end up with this whoosh at the top like she has. But that's not what's happening here. She's like rolled her hair under only on the top. And then there's a separate hair style down below that. And we don't need to talk about it any more than that. I just want everybody to know decisions were made. And I don't think they were great decisions because... Deborah is not a not attractive woman. They didn't have the budget for the hairdresser, for Jeanette's normal hairdresser. So is that Jeanette? How is that how Deborah walked in that morning? And they were like, "Yeah, just throw some leather on her. Uh, be fine." I bet um, Skinky had to do it, or uh, John Capelos had to do her hair or something. <laughs> what? No. Jeanette would do her own hair. Deborah would do her own hair. Don't sell her short. I mean, it's okay. It's fine. I just don't know what the choice was there. Uh, maybe they were like, we need you to stand in front of uh, Gare, and we need you to partially obscure his face, and you don't have the height for that, so we're going to have to get you the height. And we don't have heels tall enough. But Skanky is out and about because uh, they have a problem. But we cut to Skanky because Skanky's walking around, and he's getting out of the car at the CERK radio station. And he looks around in the station, and he's like, hello. Uh, hello is anybody in here hello the big recording sign is flashing right and then he walks into the recording room turns around and lacroix popped up right behind him like like lacroix went for like a bathroom break and he left (laughs) like something broadcasting like a commercial or just music yeah and then he came back to find skanky there right and he just pops up behind him which is his cultural right, apparently, to just appear behind somebody. But I love this part because John, uh, Skanky goes, are you trying to give me a heart attack? And, and LaCroix goes, maybe. Oh. Oh. Oh, what, are you trying to give me a heart attack? Maybe. Will you people make a habit of sneaking up all the time? 
And this is when Skanky says, is that something you people like to do? Sneaking up behind people is something you people like to do? You people? Yeah, LaCroix's like, we people? But he does not refute the statement that sneaking up behind people is what they do. Right. So I'm going to take that as confirmation that this is a cultural it's, thing. It's not a denial. No. He's just like, what do you mean, we people? He doesn't actually address the question. Nobody ever actually addresses Kinky's questions. <laughs> None of the vampires do. And this is when Natalie arrives at the apartment because Jeanette has shown up and gone, we have a problem. And so Natalie shows up and she's like, we have a problem. But she's got this sassy little blue outfit on. Her little like blue skorts that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. Like shirt. No. No, not that. Her little short skirt combination thing that she's got going with her like blue ve- like vest dress blazer god the word just fled my mind the blazer on top it's that's a really pretty color on her just wanted to point it out and she talks to nick and Jeanette, and she's like we have a problem and nick's like it's cool we're gonna take care of it we know skanky's on the muscle (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna go take care of it we're gonna go around natalie we're gonna go around and so then they just turn off frame and then we see like city lights smear and then flight so they must have whooshed out the skylight, the fucking skylight. And they head off to confront Skanky, hopefully before he gets to LaCroix, because they have every reason to believe that LaCroix would be like, I know how to solve this problem. It is fast. It is easy. It is murder. And so he would just kill Skanky. But we cut back and Skanky is confronting LaCroix. And I love this scene. I love any scene where characters who don't normally interact get to interact. And Skanky and LaCroix never get to interact. Right. And they're part of two, like, they are firmly part of completely separate worlds. Yeah. Two different worlds of uh, Nick is both, he is the bridge between them. So Skanky and Nick are friends. LaCroix and Nick are enmeshed. (laughs) (laughs) Codependent. Codependent. Um Kind of friends, sometimes friends. I don't know. It's, that's fine. It's, they, they, they defy classification is what they do. And Skanky is like, I, I want to talk to you about Nicholas. He doesn't say Nick. He says well, because, Nicholas. Because he's talking to Nick's dad. <laughs> he's like, I need to talk to you so about Nicholas. So he has Nicholas. to use Nick's full name. Yeah. And then he's like, is he, um, is he a vampire? Our... Are you a vampire? And LaCroix's just sitting there like, ugh. And then as soon as he goes, are you a vampire? His hairline like swooshed back, like it got my attention. <laughs> like like when a cat swivels its ears towards you, like, oh, I'm listening. I don't look like I'm looking at you, but I'm totally listening to me. And he just looks up at Skanky and he's like, you tell me. One of the things that this show does right is anytime we have an interaction with LaCroix, where LaCroix is like the one in charge of hypnotizing this guy out of whatever, the fact that he is a full thousand years older than his kids is very evident. There is not a moment of panic in this entire scene. LaCroix is in complete control of the narrative the entire time. It is the fact that they, with the fact that this show is able to convey LaCroix's age so effortlessly is, I always appreciate that. 
And it's probably a big credit to Nigel Bennett. Nigel Bennett. Yeah, because we always get that he is old. He gives zero fucks. In fact, he gives negative fucks. Sometimes he just kills people because he wants to. He doesn't actually need to have a fuck about it. And he is completely inhuman. Because you get the sense at the very beginning that Skanky is scared. And then when they first start to interact, he feels a little bit more comforted because he actually sits down at the table and talks with right. the claw. And then by the end of it, he's freaked the fuck out again. Right. After after LaCroix gave him some therapy. Yes, because uh, the LaCroix listened. <laughs> the the Nightcrawler is always listening to yeah, you. Yeah, the Nightcrawler. I loves... share myself with you as you share yourselves with me. Right. Uh, he does. He basically does because he's like, tell me. You tell me. Tell me all about it. And so he sits down and he's like, you know, I found blood in his refrigerator and Lacroix's like, human blood? And he goes, no, from a steer. And he goes, ugh. <laughs> Gross. I, I liked the line where Skeki was like, oh, I'm having a really bad day. You know what that's like? And Lacroix's like. A bad night. He goes, I'm having night. a bad night. And he's like, I do. He's like, oh, yes. I know what you mean. And he goes, you do? I know he it goes, well. He goes, I know it well. Like, I've had lots of them. Almost a million. I've caused them. even more. I've caused a lot of bad nights. And then he says, oh, you know, he had the blood for, he says he uses it for his paints. And he goes, Raphael taught him that. <laughs> but he doesn't care. He knows how this is going to yeah. end. He can say whatever he wants because he knows exactly how this interaction is gonna, it's going to end. Either he's going to convince Skanky and Skanky's going to leave and never say anything more about it. Or he's going to kill Skanky. Either way. The problem is already solved. So, right. whatever. Right. It's like the the trope of the bad guy monologuing, and there there's a like a rule. Was it like evil villain rules? It's like don't monologue to the protagonist until after your plan is already completed. Right. But like that's something they did really well in Watchmen. We don't have the the final reveal of all the the machinations and the the intentions of the ostensible villains' plans. Yeah. Until half an hour after it's all done. It's all done. Yeah. He's like, yeah. well, I've already did it, so you yeah, can't I, actually stop me. I did it half an hour ago. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Lacroix's like, um. Yeah, there's no way that this, like, spirals out of control. So I'll just see what I can make happen. Right. I'm going to enjoy the ride. And all credit to Nigel Bennett for portraying that very accurately. The I am in complete control right now. Because he, like, gestures to the chair and Skanky sits down. And he's like, perhaps what you should, what you should be thinking about is what has changed in you that's making you ask this question. That's making you notice these things more. And this is when he's like, oh, you know, I had a bad night. And they have their brief exchange about it. And he's like, I had to waste a guy. And LaCroix goes, awful thing <laughs> to waste people. <laughs> and he goes, how did it feel, Officer Skanky? And he's like, oh, you know, I feel guilty about his kids. You know, 
even if he wasn't a good dad, there's still a kid out there who's always going to wonder about his dad. And he's going to, you know, he's going to, he's never going to have his dad. And it's because I shot him. And LaCroix is like, no, 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 no. How did it make you feel? Did you like it? Did it give you a rush? And Skanky's like, what? No, no. Ugh. I mean, yeah, kind of. And I would have died. Yeah, I don't think he says, I don't think he like agrees out loud, but he kind of does a facial expression like, mm, yeah. He ends up saying it was a rush because he almost killed me, but Nick saved my life. So the adrenaline rush was from the near-death experience, not from killing the man. Right. Which is debatable if he did that or whether Nick did that. But it's from the fact that he could have died, but... Nick saved his life. And he's like, oh, my God. Nick saved my life. What the fuck am I doing? I have been such an idiot. He, whatever he did, he did to save me. And I have spent my entire day treating him like the bad guy. What the fuck is wrong with me? And LaCroix like, what the fuck indeed, sir? <laughs> he's just like, yeah. And then this is when he actually starts hypnotizing him, I guess, mesmerizing him. You can tell because we get a reverb on LaCroix's voice mm -hmm. and it's super subtle and it's super well done. And we don't get the like bubble, bubble. We just get right. the I'm talking to you and you are responding to my voice because he goes, go home. You're tired. And Skanky starts to yawn. And then he's like, go to your family and leave Nick to his because we are the only family he's ever had. Yeah. Go home, detective. Go home to your family and let Nicholas be with his. Us, Jeanette and myself, we're the only family Nick has ever had. What are you saying, that he's adopted? In a manner of speaking, yes. And that's the end of his, that's the only well, actual hypnotism that yeah. he does. Because Skanky goes, what, you mean he's adopted? And LaCroix's like, mm, <laughs> in a manner of speaking, yeah. And then he goes, oh, well, Mr. Nightcrawler, is Nick, is he, you know? And LaCroix goes, what do you think? He gives this like amused expression, like, oh, what do you think? Really? And Skanky does not answer that question. He says, I think I need a drink. Yep. And then he thanks. He goes, well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Nightcrawler. And he shakes his hand and LaCroix goes, only a real pleasure, Don. <laughs> and then he must hold his hand for just a second too long because Skanky like jerks his hand back. And he's yeah. like, well, it's been real. And he just leaves. <laughs> well, then LaCroix gives like one final line. He's yeah. like, just like. If it helps you feel better, uh, I have one more thing to say yeah. kind of attitude. Yeah, the Nicholas I know is very much like you. He doesn't like to kill people either. And uh, please don't uh, tell Nick about this ever. Detective, you asked me if Nicholas is different. Au contraire. The Nicholas that I know is very much like you. He doesn't like to kill people 
either. And then this is when Skanky is like, oh, oh, okay, great. Unlike we people. Right. And then he looks over (laughs) at Jeanette and Nick, because, of course, Jeanette and Nick have arrived during this whole thing. And Nick gives his little, like, see, I told you dad would take care of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly the vibe. (laughs) See, Jeanette, I don't know why you were worried about this. We had no problem. It was fine. I love this whole interaction. This whole scene is money. And I wish we could have used Nigel Bennett to the fullest of his potential more like this, where we put him in a situation where he has to fully embody like the LaCroix vibe. He doesn't, he's not getting the, uh, I'm putting one over on Nicholas and I'm. Right. Surprise. I'm here to fuck with you. Surprise. I'm here to fuck with Nicholas. It's like, I. I am a manipulative, sneaky, mildly compassionate, empathetic, but I don't use my empathy for good all of the time, sneaky-ass motherfucker character. Everyone else was like a blunt instrument. They're just like, forget that I flew and washed my car. Or forget that I was you were at the Raven, forget you were here at all. He does not actually tell him anything he doesn't already want to do. He just nudges him in the direction that he should already be going. And that makes it far, far, far more effective. Yeah. Because he just sat him down and was like, what is at the root of what's going on here? Like, What do I actually need to persuade you to walk around? What is the what is the rock in the stream that is causing all of these ripples? And we can just take that rock out instead of just damming up the whole river, which is inevitably going to cause more problems. Let's be very delicate about this. And we talk about it a couple of times in the series where they're like, oh, yeah, LaCroix is really good at getting around anybody who resists hypnosis. It's like, is he really good at getting around it or is he just better at it? Right. He's just way better. He's just way better because he's not. He doesn't rush it. He's not like Jeanette, where Jeanette talked to him for like two seconds and she was like, fuck it, I want to go back to the bed. Forget you were here and just go home. Right. He's, he's not, like, he's like, sit down. Let's have a conversation. He's not cutting down the tree. He's bonsaiing the tree. Yeah. He's like, sit down. Let's have a conversation. Tell me exactly what is bothering you right now. And then we can solve this problem and we can all be done with it. And does he solve the problem? I don't know. Because Skanky... He he resolves the problem of Skanky potentially exposing Nick. He removes the antagonistic feelings that Skanky has towards the question, is Nick a vampire or not? It's like, does it matter? Has it mattered yet? And we talked a little bit about this with Meg when we were on the trip, because of course we talked about Forever Night, because we're giant Forever Night nerds. And so we were talking about whether or not Skanky knows. And of course, canonically, no. No, he doesn't know. We don't ever really get a hint that he knows. But I think you cheapen Skanky's character if he does not know. Right. And you do the opposite if you say he knows and he's just so subtly hiding it. He's so he's so dedicated to their partnership, to his friendship and to their chemistry together that it doesn't matter. Right. The the reassurance that he got that, oh, whatever's going on with Nick, 
regardless of what that is, Nick has always acted in his weird behaviors to protect me and other people, to save me and other people. Yeah. To, you know, be a good person. Except for the time he held the guy out the window and the time he threw the guy on the transformer and the... Okay. I mean, ultimately, he was trying to make the world a better place. That's true. With he a just, little, with a little yeah. bit of excess violence. Just yeah. A little bit of excess violence. Yeah. That's fine. And so I think coming out of this encounter, Skanky, whatever uncertainty he has about the details of Nick, of whatever Nick is. Yeah. He knows that Nick is his partner. Right. I love like in Partners of the Month where he's like, you're my best friend. I wanted to be the first to tell you. I wanted to come to you first. Like, you're my best friend. He is. He believes Nick is his best friend. And I think Nick, in his way, Skanky is his best friend, too. As much as he can be with anyone he can't be completely honest with. Right. But then we cut back to the precinct because, I mean, this is really wrapped up, but nobody's called Natalie and told her it's wrapped up. So she's still walking around like, oh, my God, Skanky's going to get killed by the Enforcers. We're all going to die. Actually, you know, I don't think Natalie knows anything about the Enforcers. No. No. She does not know her life is at risk. She's just like, oh, shit, Skanky's going to find out. Oh, my God. So she goes and she's talking to Cohen and she. Uh, Cohen tells her that, oh, Skinky took the day off. And honestly, I think it's for the best. He said he had something to do. I don't know. And Natalie's like, Captain, do you think he's okay? I I think that like the shooting really affected him. And she's like, oh, I noticed it too. But I'm pretty sure that testosterone erases all trauma over a 24 hour period. (laughs) So he's going to be fine. It's cool. I'm just going to brush this off instead of contacting the department counselor. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. If he's not fine, then he wasn't worthy of being a police officer anyway. Or a man. Or a man. Or a man. Yeah. Uh, But it turns out the thing that he had to go do was wash Nick's car. (gasps) Aww. It's really cute. He's washing the car in the sunlight with like a really soapy sponge. I don't even know where. He has a house. Why is he not in his driveway? He's like at a park. They wanted the skyline in the background. Yeah. Who wouldn't want that skyline in the background? (laughs) It's because they needed needed 30 more seconds of footage. And they're like, "Uh, okay, let's just go out into the parking lot here. We already got the cameras in the van. We need to wash the caddy for tomorrow's filming anyway. We'll just have Skanky do it. (laughs) Just have John do it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, And that's the end of Close Call. Uh, Matt, I put this on and Matt's like, I've seen this episode like two or three times already. He's like, I thought we'd already watched it for the show. And I was like, no, I just watch it a lot. (laughs) This is a really good episode. It's one of my favorites. I think because we get all these fun clips of them together. And because honestly, the magic of this show is Skanky and Nick together. Yep. And Skanky and Nick are at their best when they just get to play with each other. And this is a good episode where we get to see lots of little clips of them playing together. And as much as I love the vampire element of this, we don't get a lot of it in some episodes. And this is an episode where we get to, like, we get to highlight how it makes Nick other without making it negative. It's like... Skanky is realizing all of these things about Nick. And in the end, he's like, okay, but it doesn't matter. He saved my life. And it doesn't matter. He doesn't like to harm people either. 
Right. And the whole thing, the whole time, the important thing to Skanky was, I don't know if I can trust this guy. Yeah. And at the end, he realizes, oh. okay, yes, I can trust this guy. And all the other details are irrelevant. Right. Because really the theme, like the crux of the whole issue is what he says to Natalie at the beginning, which is, I ride around with this man every night. I put my life on the line with him. And I don't know who he is. And I think he came to the conclusion of like, maybe I do know who he is and I've known or, all along. I know who he is. He's someone I can trust. Yeah. And yeah. that resolves the problem. Right. Yeah. In the way of dudes, it's like, okay, that's cool. We're cool now. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to talk about it anymore. It's a, it's a very dude bonding thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. We're cool. Great. That's all I needed to know. Yeah, I think this is a, it's a good elevator episode. It's a clever elevator episode. Yeah. It's a clever way to give us a full length episode with about maybe 15 minutes of actual new footage. Most All of filmed which, on existing sets. Yeah. Most of which is uh, Skanky and LaCroix having a phenomenal conversation where LaCroix is like, oh, shame to waste people. <laughs> <laughs> he gets the best lines. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to make the Lonely Road Through Time Society shirts. That's definitely going on the list of merch that I need to order. Now that we are no longer prepping our minds and bodies for a trip to Toronto. Toronto? Toronto? One of those was right. Stop it. Meg would say, you're insulting my culture. It's a hate crime. Let's just keep telling you it's a hate crime. So... Yeah, I guess we'll just leave it there, because now we're going to pause this, start another episode, and talk all about our trip to Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, friends. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Vampires recruit new members of their society from among their mortal acquaintances. These new vampires often maintain an unfailing allegiance over time to their master vampire the vampire who brought them across into the perpetually dark, godless world of the undead. I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this <coughs> is Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the Toronto meets. Is it the Toronto meets? <laughs> they, they wanted to say hi to. They're like, you ate so much meat. How could you not tell them about the meat? Because we haven't told them about anything yet. <laughs>